This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. About three weeks ago, we invited everyone to participate in a spiritual health and relationship survey, uh, kind of specifically leaning into marriage and parenting and um, singleness, whether it's a call to be single or it's just where you kind of find yourself currently. And we got some just incredible feedback from you guys across the board. Um, no matter what demographic you're in, I feel like we got a great representation of feedback and response. And so first and foremost, we just want to thank you for that. We want to thank you for like being helping us shepherd you well, shepherd each other well, uh, by the way that you gave us some really good, honest, transparent, gracious feedback and kind of look into your lives. But also, like, we wanted to take two weeks and respond a little more practically to some of what those surveys um, invited us into. And so this week, we're going to be looking at one topic of it. And then next week, uh, Steve and Brian and Kurt will be leading the similar setup uh, into responding to the surveys as we close out uh, the month of February. This is not our normal. If you're a guest with us, we're not normally teaching panel style on a Sunday morning. Uh, We're normally preaching from the word, walking through the book of Colossians. But we just really felt uh, a prompting from the Holy Spirit to kind of pause and throw our anchor down here in in Colossians chapter 3 as we dealt with marriage and family uh, in the context of our journey through the book of Colossians. So I'm going to show, just show you a few survey responses that we're really excited about and we're really thankful for. Uh, the first is, there was a question, I'm able to have a meaningful and minimally distracted devotional time with Jesus. Okay, and the, the graph should be up on the screen. Um, we talked uh, probably about a year ago when we were talking about uh, spiritual maturity and not assuming spiritual formation. I gave a stat on a Sunday morning that Barna had done research that close to 50% of people that identify as Christian in the United States in 2019, close to 50%, read the Bible three times a year or less. That was a stat across the United States of America. And we're asking these questions, and we see that over 90% of our community has a meaningful and minimally distracted devotional time with Jesus. And we just want to thank you for the joy that it is to shepherd people and be in family with people. Um, even though we're up here trying to also recognize that God's asked us to be family trainers, the three of us are also family members of this family. And it is a joy to be a family member in a family that takes so serious their devotional time with Jesus. The very next one as well, I'm able to set aside a sufficient amount of time in the word. Um, 80%, eight out of 10 of our church says they're in the word more than one day a week. And that's, that is a, not just on Sundays. That is a significant uh, exception to what we know to be statistical research across the United States. And so we just want to thank you um, for that. You guys have anything you want to add to that? Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> man of, man of, much, of much words over there. Um, so today, as we, we, we look at those responses, we're going to kind of unpack today what we feel like is, is a great starting point for how to equip and shepherd all of us toward being more obedient, giving God more glory in the relationships we find ourselves, whether that's in our singleness, in our marriages, or in our family relationships with with not just a spouse, but with children as well. 
And uh, last week, Steve and Beth invited us into this love and respect cycle of understanding um, love and respect in the context of marriage. And I thought they did an incredible job. Um, and I, if you were anything like me, you walk away saying, like, there are some things that I need to put into practice. There are some things that I need to, to start practicing in my own life after hearing this and being exposed to this. Um, but if you're anything like me, you also have a tendency to look at the next maybe uh, uh, you know, suggestion or the next encouragement as something to fix or bring satisfaction to your life and to your relationships. We have a tendency to look at a parenting conference and say, okay, if I can get to that parenting conference, like I will solve all my parental woes. Or, or if I can just buy that book that Stephen Beth suggested last week about love and respect, like my relationship will immediately increase. Or if I can just go to the next young adults conference on like singleness and sexuality, like I will figure out how to be content and obedient in this season of life that the Lord has me. And we tend to look at these things and think that there's going to, like our formula for success, so to speak, is going to, to um, come to fruition because of these elements, books or resources or, or you know, different models or, or different things that we're learning. But the reality is, is we can never jump to success, if you want to call it that, or achievement or really fruitfulness in our relationships separate from the work of repentance. Uh, Martin Luther, who's maybe the earliest of the reformers, literally pasted 95 theses, nailed 95 theses to the door of the, of the Catholic Church in Germany, said in the very first one, all of life is a life of repentance. And repentance is kind of one of those words that gets a little churchy. It's like confession and repentance. We, we feel like it's, it's maybe sometimes penance or punishment or, or it's this like, you know, very systematic word. And what we aim to do today is to give you a greater understanding of not just what repentance is, but how you're invited into a life of repentance and then how that manifests itself in the venues of relationships that we find ourselves. And so I want to show you what, kind of what started this. We asked the question on the survey, the personal sin struggle that represents a great hindrance to my growth in relationships is, and then we broke down the answers into some different categories. And so here are the categories that you all gave us on a personal sin struggle. A lack of discipline or devotion. Uh, basically, a confession to, to struggle with the spiritual disciplines, 7%, or roughly, you know, you can round up one out of 10. Emotional sin. I don't think emotions are sin, but I think emotions can motivate sin. <laughs> and so it was this, as you wrote out, it was these, these confessions of struggling with these emotions that produce sin in our life. Distractions or idolatry, things like people's approval, uh, things like people-pleasing, um, sexual sin or lust, pride or selfishness. You know, you see the, the statistical numbers of where it breaks down. Apathy, slothfulness, or laziness with just the, uh, you know, in, in laziness in terms of maybe lifestyle or laziness even in terms of discipline and devotion. We, that was a tough separation there. And then lastly, like worldly pleasures or comforts, basically the confession that I find more satisfaction in a materialism. I find more satisfaction in, you know, something the world offers me than in the Lord. And so we see these six, seven categories here. And, and that's basically where, where we found everybody landing and it's in these seven different streams of thought. We put this up there for a couple reasons. One, to highlight the places that we struggle. And keep in mind, we only ask for one sin struggle. If you're anything like me, you could probably find yourself struggling in all seven of these venues and then some that we don't even have on the screen. Um, so it's not just to highlight that in our community, but it's also this. If you're like, man, I know where mine lands. I know where the response I gave lands. Or if you didn't respond, where yours might land in this breakdown. It's also to remind us that you're not the only one in the room. Like you are not the only one in the room that struggles. 
You're not the only one in the room that feels weak. You're not the only one in the room that fails at times. You're not the only one in the room that, that stumbles and falls. Like you can look around this room and be reminded that you are in a community of people that have been redeemed, people that are, that are being redeemed, and people that will be redeemed. And that's who you're sitting next to. And so as we move forward in talking about repentance, we want to start there by saying, because we acknowledge these things, we acknowledge that there's no quick fix and there's no formula to fruitfulness that doesn't include the work of repentance. And so as we move into to our time, I just want to pray for us, just a prayer of confession and a prayer over today. Um, Lord Jesus, we just come to you this morning. In light, of, in light of these responses, we come to you this morning and we recognize that like we confess and recognize that we have at times, many times, failed to live with the full understanding that we truly are your sons and daughters. We have failed to live fully understanding what it means to be made your family. We failed to love you the way that you have loved us. We fall short in when it comes to not doubting your word and, and, and believing every part of the gospel. Lord, the, the message to repent and believe the gospel is for the world, but it's for me. It's for us. Repent today and believe the gospel. And we, we just confess that the, the reality of, of us acknowledging these sin struggles is a confession that there are many times that we battle in belief, that we are convinced of the wrong thing, um, that we fall short. And Lord, we need you. Like, we need you. We don't have a path to fruitfulness and faithfulness and a success without you. We don't have a path to wholeness without you. We don't have a path to salvation without you. And so, Lord, we need you. I pray today that you just um, show us your nearness, that you just show us the ways that you've provided for us and the truth of the gospel. Lord, we pray for a softening of our hearts today as we turn our hearts back to you. We pray for the courage to acknowledge where we are and to run to you, our King. Um, it's in your name we pray these things. Amen. Adam came up with a great uh, kind of rundown of what repentance is, a, a definition of what repentance is, and so he's going to invite us into that. So um, my goal and burden just that the Lord placed on me throughout this week is to kind of demystify the word repentance because it is a jargon type of a word. It, it carries certain baggage from your past church experiences and things like that, and so what I wanted to do, and, and by God's grace, what I aim to do is look at the reality of what repentance really is and I try to put a, a statement behind it and show you where, I, where we get these phrases from. And I don't have time to like unpack everything. We want to really stay on point, but I would ask if you would consider taking down the scriptural references. There's going to be six sections, and maybe one day each week, take five minutes to like meditate on these passages and let the word wash over you and kind of inform your heart as to what, what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. Um, so the sentence that, that God gave me was when asking what is repentance biblically, like what is it really? Uh, it says repentance is the gift of a heart made soft to the truth, which bears fruit which leads to life and bears fruit to the glory of God. And now I want to show you where I get that. The first part is repentance is the gift. It's a gift. And it's so interesting how repentance is over and over commanded, right? Like John the Baptist came preaching saying, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. 
And Jesus came and said, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. The apostles in, in the book of Acts said, God commands everyone everywhere to repent, commands everyone to repent. So it is commanded, yet the mystery is that it is a gift. If, if you're seeking it, you're seeking the gift of repentance, that God will grant it to you. It is this mystery that we are not passive, you know, just floating in the sea of life. We are active, but yet God is also active. And so uh, the scriptures that I wanted to point out to you, one, the main one here is Acts 11.8. After the, the gospel was preached to the Gentiles um, and the Holy Spirit fell because they were trusting in the gospel and repenting of sin, they went back to, the apostles went back to the Jews in Jerusalem and they said everything and everyone was silent. All the Jewish Christians were silent and they rejoiced and said, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So we see that it's a gift. And, you know, this is not um, just theological jargon. I, what I mean for this to do is really let this stir our hearts to prayer and, and humility that, that we will not be uh, God's benefactor, right? Like we will not give something to God and he will pay us back in return with forgiveness, Right? So we come to him empty-handed. And, and one of the ways he bestows the gift is through the Holy Spirit, as one of the verses here. And, and Andrew had a really good, I think, insight into that. Yeah, I think I'm just um, reminded in John 16, Jesus is teaching on the Holy Spirit. He says, when the helper comes, he calls him a helper, um, which is a good reminder that like, we need help in the work of repentance. When the helper comes, he will convict the world of sin. And he starts in us. You know, he convicts us of the sin, namely the sin of unbelief. And so a lot of times, even when I'm in discipleship conversations with people and we start to get to the point of confession, you know, kind of putting out on the table the things we're struggling with, one of the things that I'm always prompted to say is we have to acknowledge that you wouldn't confess that as sin absent the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So like, let's stand on really firm ground and say the fact that we can even acknowledge the places that we need and feel, feel like led to honor the Lord is a promise of the Holy Spirit being in us and with us and for us. And so it's just a good reminder of that gift. So moving forward, I guess the question should arise, what is it? Like, what really is it? And what I see biblically as I, as I look through the, you know, several mentions of repentance in the New Testament, especially, is that it is a heart made soft. And what I mean by that is, is it's not a showy, outward, you know, tears streaming down your face, words coming out of your mouth. That's not the essence of what repentance is, but rather a heart that is softened, right? And so what I mean to say by that is, is that at its essence, repentance is a heart posture. And so if I had to come up with the opposite word for repentance, biblically speaking, I would say it's obstinance. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a callousness. It's a, a stiff-necked you know, kind of posture towards the truth. And so, you know, this sort of heart softening, I think the Bible explains is first tasted at one's conversion, but it is increasingly experienced over the, the Christian life and, should, and ought to be increasingly sought. And so, you know, one of the supports that I, that I saw for this was in Psalm 51. If you rec recall, David, this is the psalm that David wrote after he was called out by Nathan for his sin against Bathsheba when he, uh, and um, Uriah the Hittite when he sent a man off in, mur in murder and in adultery 
And Nathan confronted him, and the Holy Spirit granted him conviction and repentance. And he's crying out to God. He said, you would not delight in a sacrifice or burnt offering, or I would give it. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. And so let us be people that understand that it's not this sort of outward showy thing, but it is a heart posture and a change of heart that we seek. Yeah. And then, so we say, so what is it to? What is it to what? To what? And, you know, what I see here is, is towards the truth. And, you know, I capitalize the word truth here for kind of two reasons. You know, there's the word of God that the Holy Spirit softens our heart towards. But it's also towards Jesus, right? So past all facades that we're able to build up in our life, all barriers that we can project to one another on a day-to-day -day basis, what does God's word really say about who you are and about who I am? What is it saying about these hidden areas of my heart that maybe nobody knows? And so your heart becomes soft towards the word and the reality of who you are and Jesus and our, our just absolute need for him. I think about it like repentance is the only soil that the, the plant of faith can grow in. That's good. And so, you know, in Isaiah 66 too, the Lord says, this is the one I will look to, the one who is humble and contrite and who trembles at my word. This just shows all the more the first point about the gift that it is a supernatural act. Like this cannot happen naturally. And so this is kind of the why section, like why, like what, how can I entice you to seek this and to want this? And we've already seen in, in the verse in Acts 11 that this is a repentance that leads to life, right? So I mean to entice you with something to say that there is a reality that exists that our eyes cannot see. There is a kingdom that will not be shaken, there's a kingdom that exists in the heavenly realms that is coming one day very soon. And, you know, Jesus said one time that of all the men born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet I tell you that the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He tried to stir you and me up to want this kingdom, to want it, to seek it as if our whole lives depend on it, because it does. And so, you know, the psalmist said, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Are you satisfied with just this life? Are you satisfied with the way life goes and all of its disease and destruction and, and broken hearts and, and, and sin? Are you satisfied? Or do you seek a kingdom that can't be shaken where these things pass away and the old is made new? And so, you know, I just, I, I not only am welcome you, but just encourage you to seek the repentance that leads to life. And so what does it do and how can we recognize that we've had it or, or that it's real? And so, you know, John the Baptist said to the Pharisees, he said, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the repentance to come bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so we see, you know, if you go out in your yard this spring and you see two trees in your yard and one is flourishing with all kinds of leaves and fruit and the other is just totally barren, what will you say about those two trees? You'll say that one is alive and one is dead. And the Bible wishes to let us see that repentance is a live tree that produces real things. And so what are some examples of the fruit that repentance produces? Well, one is 
confession. And I think, Butch, you had really like a lot of insight about the confession element, and we're going to talk some about it. I don't yeah. know if you want to now. No, we'll, we'll talk in a minute. Yeah. So, but the other would be faith in believing the gospel. Um, you know, the repentant soil allows the faith plant to grow. And the last is obedience, right? Is your repentance producing a change or not? That is a telltale way. Examine your life and see, do I have repentance? Is there fruit growing on my tree from that? And if not, let us go to the Lord, you know, in the quiet of the night in our darkest closet and ask for that. And the last thing is to the glory of God. You know, <clears throat> all of this is anchored in the ultimate end of all things. God created all things for this purpose, you know, displaying and delighting in God's glory. And so, you know, I wanted to point out this, that when Jesus was telling some parables, he's, he over and over and over, he speaks about the rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents as compared to 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So see that not only that, that what, you know, that there is more glory and more joy in heaven when repentance actually occurs. And so that is the end of all things. That's why we were created. That's why you were created. And so I, I want you all to seek that so that you'll feel that purpose. It's why we exist. Thank you, Adam. And we'll be putting this stuff out and, and making it available for you to revisit and kind of meditate on. Um, Adam mentioned Butch wanting to, to kind of unpack confession and what repentance is and kind of what it isn't. And you had some really good stuff to say this week as we were preparing about understanding God's love language. And so you want to invite us, invite us into that a little bit. Yeah, you guys just thought I was up here for eye candy, right? <laughs> so... Uh, I actually had actually had something to say. Uh, yeah, you know it, it, it's interesting because in relationships, uh, we we that that's usually where our sin comes, right? Uh, whether it's with a spouse or with a uh, you know a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a roommate, right? Uh, because what we've gone through over the last two years now in the pandemic, uh, we. we kind of got stuck with each other, right? I don't know about you guys, but uh, I, I know I have heard of people who the people they live with got on their nerves. <laughs> this is being recorded, so I'm not going to confess anything. Uh, but it, that relationship stuff, you know, one of the things that Pam and I have learned over the years, because we've been married 42 years, uh, started dating 46 years ago, uh, and uh, so we, we've learned a few things about each other. Uh, positively, you know, we, we've been married long enough to realize neither one of us wakes up in the morning going, wow, what can I do to make their life miserable today? <laughs> well, at least not usually. Uh, and, and so we've, we've come to recognize that. And if somebody does something wrong, you know, we tend to be a little bit more for, forgiving. However, one of the, on the negative side, one of the things we have dealt with is uh, a, a lot of times we come to each other in what's supposed to be repentance, but it ends up being explanation. Like, yeah, hey, I'm sorry I did this, but here's the reason I did it, uh, right? Which is not, that's, that, that's kind of what Adam did in the garden when God confronted him. He go, what have you done? And Adam went, well, yeah, I did it, but the woman you gave me, <laughs> you know? Uh, he, he, he became a victim. And we have to be careful when, when we're in that personal cycle of repentance, whether we're the one repenting or whether we're the one being repented to, 
that we don't fall into that victim mentality because if you play the victim, genuine repentance cannot take place. Right? Uh, but because there's got to be that realization you have actually sinned and it's on you. Uh, <laughs> Adam mentioned the, the David's psalm, Psalm 51, and it's, it's hysterical. And every, you know, every time I read that, and, and David starts that psalm by going, Lord, against you and against you alone if I sin. And, and, and I'm going, man, what is Uriah doing in, in, in heaven when he, when he hears that song? Like, you know, hello, uh, I, I think I might have been sinned against just a little bit. My wife was taken and I was killed. Uh, but we need to recognize that ultimately, regardless of the human factor, our sin is against God. And against God alone. Uh, and, and, and part of making things right with God is making things right with the people who are involved. And, you know, Andrew, you, you were single sooner than, than either of us. So what, what was it like as a, as a single guy? Yeah, um, you know, we, practicing repentance can be this like vague kind of terminology um, and, and we're going to ask these guys as well about practicing repentance in their marriage and their family. But I'll start being the most recently single. Um, I remember a season where, where I got to the point really coming out, out of a season of grief, of experiencing some significant loss in my family, um, where I began to really resent that the Lord left me on this journey alone. I wasn't with anyone. Everybody else had somebody they were journey with. I felt like I was the middleman for a, a church that was experiencing loss. Uh, I was the son to some parents that were experiencing loss. I was the brother to a sister that was experiencing loss, but I had no one to experience it with me. And as I began to like really believe that lie, that no one was here to experience it with me, like I found bitterness, I found frustration, I found resentment, not just towards the Lord, but towards others turns the joy in other people's lives. I found myself in isolation and depression. I still put on a good face and came and preached and did things I was supposed to do in public, but like internally, I was a total wreck. And it took the Lord reminding me that even if I hadn't have a partner, like even if I wasn't partnered up with a spouse or even with someone soon to be my spouse, um, that I was never absent the Redeemer and I was never absent the best groom which is Christ himself, that he was with me every step of the way. And he was in that journey with me. And then he kind of gave me this phrase. And if you've heard me talk about singleness at all, we do these like random relationship panels from time to time. You've heard me say that like, sometimes we, we in the church look at marriage and singleness, kind of like the Old Testament looks at God's people in the promised land and in captivity or in exile. And we kind of, in it, un, like we don't mean to, but we kind of inadvertently say, Marriage is the land of promise, and singleness is the land of exile. Well, the problem with that is it's a lot of the New Testament authors living in exile, first and foremost, because most of them are single, Jesus himself included, obviously. But, but also, it's, it's not true. Like, both marriage and singleness are places of immense promise, not about your location, but about who you're with, with Christ himself. And so when I started to adopt that belief put my, and repent and believe in that part of the gospel, then I was able to walk out my days as a single man with much more contentment, not because I loved being single every day, but because I was already with 
and end the best marriage I could possibly be in with Jesus himself. Um, Adam, as a parent, you, well, both of you are parents, but Adam, you got, I'm looking at your kids right here on the front row. Uh, how do you practice repentance as a parent? Yeah, so practically, um, you know, I think there's certain things that allow for a preparation of repentance, of a constant repentant attitude. And the two that I, that I thought were most important, practically speaking, is one is regular engagement with the word. And I don't mean just like reading. I mean like literally sitting and making sure it's entering my brain and going down to my heart, you know. So a lot of that's meditation, um, which is something that's new for me in the last couple years. But just allowing the word to speak the truth into my life about who I am, because I'm very good at putting up these, you know, fake walls. And then the other thing is just the gift of a conscience. We don't talk about the conscience much in the pulpit, but it's mentioned over 20 times in the New Testament, and it's a gift to us. And so cultivating a tender conscience, like listening to it and responding to it and not making it calloused. So those in preparation, but how it practically plays out is, I mean, you know, I, I'll tell a story. Uh, you know, there was a, a time not too long ago when uh, I think Ashley had left and I was putting the kids to bed and uh, I had dilly-dallied in the kitchen or something. I said, go on up and brush your teeth. You know, I do this. This never ends well. And uh, I, go, I go up and, I mean, there were like tubes of toothpaste like being squirted everywhere and like it was just like, a, it was like, oh man. And I just, I had abdicated my knowing my kids and not, didn't go up there with them. So I was really responsible for a lot of that. But I just like boiled over in anger, you know. I was just like, what are you doing? You know, like, what are you doing with not that kind of voice? And, um, and so, you know, it was like my, the spirit and my conscience like bore witness to me in that moment that I crossed the line. And, you know, a lot of times I have to remove myself for a while to pray, you know, and to just allow me to go back into the situation. But we finally got the kids to bed and I just went to each one of them and, and, and just bore the truth. I said, you know, daddy, daddy really, really messed up. And he's, uh, I'm a sinner, you know. I'm a sinner just like everybody, and I need, I need so much Jesus' forgiveness. Will you forgive me, and will you pray for me? And so we spend time, I mean, uh, probably multiple times a week like that, because mm -hmm. the, the truth is it comes out every single day. Yeah. yeah. Butch, as, and you, you talked about this a couple weeks ago when you preached, like what did practicing repentance look like, or even moments that you've been unrepentant in your marriage? Yeah, you know, we have, uh, we, we, we've been together a, a, a long time, but a lot of that was a struggle. Uh, we, we really, we, we got married outside the will of God, because uh, I, was, I was not a believer. Uh, and, that, and we both brought all kind of baggage into our relationship, and it was baggage that, that worked against each other, right? Uh, and, and so for a lot of our marriage, we did a pretty poor job of, of repenting with one another, although we did very well with the children. I would say, uh, but it was it was with, with us, and it, it wasn't until Paige uh, kind of confronted us on on that that we repented of the fact that we had not worked on our marriage the way we should, and, and we began a journey uh, in Paige's senior year of high school, which is longer ago than I care to think about, uh, but. Uh, uh, but but of, of really working at recognizing repentance comes from a place of love. Not, not just love for one another, but love for the Lord. You know, there was a, a slide up a minute ago, and I can't turn around because I'm old. 
uh, that, that, that said, you know, obedience is God's love language. And, and, and the reality is, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's, wow, I wonder what that means in the Greek. It means, if you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments. Right? I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, not, it's not complicated. And so what we do when it comes to repentance should come from a heart of love. I'm going to ask a trick question. Do not answer because I don't want you embarrassing yourself. Is pain a good thing or a bad thing? Most of us would say, oh, pain's, pain's bad. I don't, I don't want pain. If you don't have pain, you're going to die. Because pain tells us there's something wrong. It's a gift. It tells us that there is something wrong with us physically that we need to have looked at. Conviction might not be pleasant in the moment, but it is a gift from God because it leads us to the fruit of repentance. Uh, and, and, and that comes, that is a gift from God. That is a love gift from God because he wants us to walk in obedience with him. And, and so when we do something out of line, he's, he's going to show us. And not only when we do something, and this is something I wanted to bring up earlier, Sins of omission are, are just as, as bad as sins of commission. In other words, we, we tend to think of sin as doing something wrong, right? But there's also that journey of walking in obedience to the Lord and doing things that we ought to be doing. Uh, when we're not doing things we ought to be doing, that is just as much sin as not doing things. Early in my Christian walk, it seemed like, Man, I gotta stop doing this. I gotta quit doing this. I gotta stop. Man! Uh, and then as I began to mature in the Lord, I began to recognize the fact that, oh, I need to start doing this, and I need to start doing this. And, and God began to convict me of things I needed to bring into my life, not just things I needed to get out of my life. You know, as we practice repentance uh, corporately, whether you're single, whether you're married, or whether you're a parent, um, you have the opportunity to invite others into your walk and your journey of repentance with you. You know, as a single person, you might say, well, I don't know what that is. Well, it could be your roommate. It could be friends. Uh, it, could be, it could be even intergenerational relationships within the context of your faith family, which would ideally be this one. We try to do this in the context of our family groups and DNA groups as we unpack those in the future and invite you into those. Like we, we want to create as many venues for you to repent corporately as possible. In fact, I mentioned our singleness earlier. Um, these two guys that, that, well, all three of us now that can talk about understanding love in a marriage is really understanding the depth of God's love. But when singleness and your singleness, you have a, a divine opportunity to, to experience the breadth of God's love. And you could journey with more people, maybe not intimate with a single person until those vows have taken place um, before the Lord. But a, a, a journey of intimacy with a number of people uh, in, in relationship and in community. And so when we talk about repentance, there is an aspect to it, whether it's getting down with your kids and saying, you know, dad's not a superhero. He is, he is in need of redemption as well. Whether it's looking across a, a table to your wife or to your husband and saying, you know, I need, I need to, we need to help each other be fixed by the Lord in this. 
or whether it's in singleness saying to friends or members of your faith family, like, I need someone to walk with me. We each have venues to do that in our personal lives, but we also have a unique opportunity to model that today. And Butch is going to invite us in how we come to the table, to the Lord's table, not just as the thing you do at the end of the service, but with a heart of corporate repentance that we all come to that source for what redeems us. Yeah, and as we enter into this time, I, I would, uh, uh, if, if you didn't get a chance to, to grab the uh, little cardboard wafers and uh, uh, little plastic deals, you know, go, go ahead. You're not going to bother anybody. Just get up and, and grab it. We're going to do this together. You know, many of the survey responses that we got referred to one of the major issues that people are dealing with as being isolation. Uh, and, and, and that was the case for marriage, for unmarrieds, you know, that, that feeling of, uh, of, of just being alone. Uh, and, and just this week, I was, I was reading an, an article uh, saying how badly the pandemic has affected churches uh, in this last year and really impacted people across not just America, but across the globe when it comes to this sense of, of, of isolation. Uh, and in churches, very often, that sense is heightened because, you know, a, a lot of us do things together and we know each other and, and, and all week long we've looked forward to hanging out and uh, like, hey, man, I haven't seen you this week. What's up? And, and so for those that come in who, who, who don't have that and they see everybody hugging and, uh, you know, hanging out, it, it makes that sense of isolation, it, it can make that feel even worse. Uh, and, and so I just want to, uh, I want to encourage us in some things. Uh, first of all, if you're not part of a family group, man, just, you know, see, see one of us. We, we'd love to talk to you about that. We're going to do some things to try to help with some of this sense of isolation. Uh, you know, you're going to see some things happen because we didn't just read these surveys, we're, we're going to try to do some things as well. We, we just started a, a few weeks ago these DNA groups, which are smaller accountability groups, you know, where you get to know each other and, and, and really build that relationship enough to, to feel safe in sharing some things. And that's one of the things I love about our fellowship is uh, it, it is a safe place to share things. And one of the biggest spiritual events on campus every year is Dirty Laundry, right? Crawl college kids, oh yeah, Dirty Laundry. Uh, and, and yet in most churches, many of you come from churches and you're thinking, I would never share my dirty laundry in my church, right? Because it would come back to, to bite you, right? Uh, and, and yet that there's, there's, there's that sense of community that is important in helping us deal with sin, now, if you don't have that community, be proactive, right? Don't wait for somebody to, to come to you. Take, take some steps, because a lot of times we just don't know. You know, it's embarrassing to me how many people I don't know, but you can only know so many folks, right? Uh, and, and for those of us that are here, if you see somebody and you see them kind of uh, isolated, be proactive and go up and say, hey, man, I don't know you. I'd like to, right? 
Uh, and and if, you, if you're an introvert, you go, well, I want to do that, but I never will. Grab somebody that's an extrovert and take them with you, you know, just to, to get involved in that person's life. But we, we practice communion. And, and, and communion is, is sharing, sharing together. That, that's what the communion is, right? And, but it's not just sharing this fake wine and, and, and fake bread, right? It, it's, it's sharing life. It's sharing community. And, you know, James says, if, you, if you're guilty of sin, confess it to one another. But why is that? Because, you know, God's writing a, a dear, dear Abbey column up in heaven someplace and uh, he, he wants to humiliate us at some point? No. It's because he knows if we're going to have victory over things, we need to have somebody helping us to be accountable. So this morning, uh, before we partake of the communion, there's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul Paul is, is addressing the Corinthians who messed up so many things, and yet they're still brothers and sisters, right? But he, he says, some of you are sick and some have died because they've partaken of communion in an unworthy manner. So as, as, as Kurt kind of leads us uh, in, in, in just a little bit of worship, I, I want to invite you. you. You don't have to get up and come down to the front. You can. Uh, but get along with God right where you are. Uh, maybe you're here with somebody and, and you need to get something right with them. Do that. But spend some time preparing yourself for what we are about to partake of. Uh, and, and, and get with God. Remembering 
what he did for us. I need no more than the blood of Jesus Need no less than his precious love Cause you poured out what I could not merit Life of heaven you died for us Praise the Father whose grace has won me Praise the Spirit and praise the Son My heart is startled by all this mercy Grateful I am no more my own Then he took the cup And you know, we, we run by this so often Except this cup is the new covenant my blood we don't have to go to a temple and make sacrifices we don't have to we don't have to kill lambs to cover our sin for one year we have total forgiveness because we live in a new covenant we no longer have to sin because of the new covenant we have the promise of victory when we lean on him this is his blood Once for all, you were pierced and beaten. Once for all, you became our peace. Walls have fallen, they kept me from you. It is finished, it set me free. One day soon, there'll be no more sorrow. One day soon we'll be truly home With earth no more than a fleeting memory Every hope finally fully grown 